Okay, good morning and welcome to the San Francisco Planning Commission and Health Commission special joint hearing for Thursday, May 11th, 2023. To enable public participation, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will receive public comment for the item on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes, and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. We will take public comment from persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access line. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, you need to call area code 415-655-0001 and enter access code 2591-344-3462 and press pound twice. <clears throat> At this point, you should be able to listen to the hearing live, wait for the item you're interested in speaking to, and for public comment to be announced. Uh, to comment, you, you need to press star three to raise your hand. And once you've raised your hand, you'll hear a prompt stating that you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear that you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. For those joining via WebEx, please log in via the link found on today's agenda and enter password CPC2023 and use the raised hand icon to ask a question. Best practices are to call from a quiet location and please mute the volume on your television or computer. For those persons attending in person, please line up on the screen side of the room to your right. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Finally, I'll ask that we all silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. And at this time, I'd like to take roll. Commission President Tanner. Here. Commission Vice President Moore. Here. Commissioner Braun. Here. Commissioner Diamond. Here. Commissioner Imperial. Here. Commissioner Koppel. Here. And we expect Commissioner Ruiz to be absent today. Commissioner Bernal. Here. Commissioner Christian. Here. Commissioner Guillermo. <coughs> and Commissioner Chow. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioners. Um, you have one item on your special calendar today, case number 2016-004775-MCM for the California Pacific Medical Center Annual Compliance Statements. This is an informational presentation. Good morning, Presidents Bernal and Tanner and Commissioners. I'm Elizabeth Pearl, Planning Department staff. Could I have the presentation, please? The item before you is an informational presentation <coughs> on California Pacific Medical Center's compliance with their development agreement for the 2021 reporting period. This is the ninth annual reporting period. I'm joined by Iftikhar Hussein of the Health Service System, Lowell Rice and Charlie Paisley of the Mayor's Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and Max Gara and Navina Baba of the Department of Public Health. Today's hearing is one part of the annual review process required by the development agreement. The DA requires CPMC to submit an annual report on compliance and for the city to evaluate their compliance and hold this public hearing. At today's presentation, you'll hear updates for 2021 as well as some updates on their projected compliance since that time. Following this hearing, the directors of planning and public health will determine whether CPMC was in compliance for their obligations for that year. A third-party monitor will review the director's findings and inform the Board of Supervisors whether he agrees with the director's determinations. 
CPMC's development agreement allowed them to build a new hospital and medical office building at Van Ness and Geary with the requirement that they also build a new hospital to replace St. Luke's in the Mission District. The development agreement required replacement of St. Luke's within two years of opening the Van Ness Hospital. Sutter met this commitment with the opening of the Mission Bernal Campus Hospital in 2018 and the Van Ness Hospital in 2019. Both hospitals are now in operation. The DA also required Sutter to make payments for a range of public benefits and improvements. They have completed those payments under the development agreement with total payments of over $73 million. The main items up for compliance review today include payments, hiring commitments, healthcare commitments, public improvements, and community outreach. Construction of the Mission Bernal Hospital and the Van Ness Hospital and its associated medical office building are complete. Future construction includes a new medical office building at Mission Bernal and some remaining improvements around that area in the Mission District. One other obligation under the development agreement is the limit on fee-for-service increases by CPMC in its role as a provider for the city's health service system. Iftikhar Hussein of the health service system will provide an update on that. Good morning. I'm Iftikhar Hussain, the CFO of the Health Service System, and uh, happy to report about the uh, compliance with the fee increase requirements in the development agreement. Uh, it's a 10-year agreement beginning with uh, 2015, and uh, the 2019 uh, work by the independent um, um, actuary has been completed. Uh, Sutter is in compliance. Uh, there was a $40,000 uh, uh, difference in the findings that Sutter has paid us. And the audit for uh, 20 and 21 uh, is in process, expected to be completed around the August timeframe. Thanks, Iftahar. Okay. And now I'm going to introduce Lowell Rice of the um, OEWD uh, Workforce Division, who's going to talk about the workforce requirements. Thank you, Elizabeth, and thank you, commissioners. My name is Lowell Rice. I'm with the Office of Economic Workforce Development. I've been working on this project for seven years as a business services representative. And uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was promoted to the manager of first source hiring non-construction. I regret that the city build director, who is basically the director of our first source construction side of the house uh, can't come today because he's going to be a father soon. So <laughs> uh, we wish him all the best and uh, can't wait to see when his baby's born. But this first slide is from him. Uh, the construction requirements, as I understand, were completed in July of 2019. And you can see in the bullets, the hiring goals did exceed the non-union administrative and engineering candidates and the administrative and engineering internship candidates. The Sutter contractors met requirements for the good faith efforts as required by First Source toward hiring goals for entry-level union apprentice candidates and journeymen and apprentices. And that last bullet is kind of uh, obscured by uh, some, some words there, but it says, I believe, local business enterprise program goals exceeded were exceeded during the construction period next slide please 
Okay, so for first source hiring program, CPMC operations, as I said, I've been working on this project for seven years, helping CPMC fulfill their requirements. Um, the requirement in the DA is that they hire at least 40% of all their entry level positions come from our system referral network. And um, those goals have, have been exceeded. All non-construction hiring goals have been exceeded. There are no deficit or carryovers as stipulated in the development agreement. As of um, July, the end of July, 2022, it was a 47% goal that was accomplished, which meant that 48 hires were made for entry-level positions out of the 102 employees that were uh, referred from the workforce network. Next slide, please. Um, and then what this also means is that for those folks who were hired, 67% of those entry-level hires came from what are called the priority neighborhoods in the development agreement. And these priority neighborhoods include Western Addition, Tenderloin, Mission, South of Market, Outer Mission and Excelsior, Chinatown, and the Southeast neighborhoods. Um, there has been, you know, over the years, uh, requests for retention data, which we now get regularly from CPMC. And for this time period, the retention rate of folks that were on the job for at least 90 days was 91%. And what that equates to is that there were 430 uh, first source hires over these nine, nine years that met that retention goal. Uh, before we leave this slide, I just wanna give you a preview um, since I'm working on the final year program 10. Uh, CPMC has uh, continued to exceed their uh, goal of 40%, and we're looking at over 50 hires for this current program year. Next slide, please. This slide is also contributed by um, another staff person that I work with, Charlie Paisley. He's the director of sector programs uh, for sector training programs. And he's more conversant with this slide. If you do have any questions, I'm just going to read, uh, read from the PowerPoint here. Um, it has to do with the CPMC Workforce Fund. First of all, the fund targets educational and nonprofit organizations that work in those priority neighborhoods I mentioned before. And it focuses on the barrier removal and job training for people to get employment opportunities with CPMC. Um, the current grantees are JVS, Self-Help for the Elderly, Success Center, and FACES SF. And as of May 31st, 2020, the remaining amount in the Workforce Development Fund was $870,000. So that concludes um, my remarks. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lowell. And now Max Garo from the Department of Public Health is going to present the uh, healthcare requirements and, and um, how CPMC has met those.
Good morning, commissioners. My name is Max Guerra, and I work at the Department of Public Health. Uh, for this section of the presentation, I'll provide an overview of compliance related to healthcare, uh, healthcare commitments in the DA for 2021. Um, I received several uh, questions uh, from the commission prior to, to, uh, to today's hearing, and I'll also be addressing uh, these throughout the presentation. So Exhibit F of the Development Agreement provides multiple provisions related to healthcare, which are intended to ensure that CPMC continues to provide high-quality care to all San Franciscans, especially low-income, Medi-Cal, uninsured, and the city's diverse uh, communities. This slide provides an overview of the DA's healthcare commitments, uh, and these include five baseline commitments to maintain the same level of care uh, related to community benefit and charity care, three provisions to increase care to Medi-Cal beneficiaries and low-income residents, two provisions on the Innovation Fund. Uh, this is a fund with a total of $8.6 million uh, spread across four years to fund community-based services and programs. Uh, note that these provisions were completed in 2020 and therefore I won't be discussing today. Uh, there are also five uh, healthcare provisions in the DA ranging from subacute services to culturally and linguistically appropriate services, two provisions related uh, to the number and type of bed spaces, uh, a bed space available at the Mission Bernal and Van Ness uh, hospitals, and lastly, four provisions uh, related to the number and type uh, of bed space available at the Mission Bernal and uh, Van Ness hospitals. Um, sorry, Pro sorry, four provisions uh, to assure specific services uh, and programs at the Mission Bernal um, campus um, and that these are provided. So together, these uh, provisions help to assure seamless and accessible care to San Franciscans. And on the next slide, um, we'll provide more details on the healthcare provisions that are still in progress and CPMC's 21, um, 2021 compliance on each. And next slide, please. Uh, so before I dive in, um, I want to take a moment to uh, acknowledge the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic had on the city's health care system, uh, which started in 2020 and continued through 2021. Uh, during this time, hospitals citywide redirected resources to support COVID surge planning. Uh, there was a pause on non-essential health care services and patients delayed seeking care due to stay-at-home orders. Uh, and we saw that patient volume significantly decreased in 2020 and also uh, into 2021. Uh, CPMC reported that the pandemic impacted their performance for several provisions of the uh, uh, several of the DA provisions, and, and I'll go into um, those uh, throughout the presentation. So this slide uh, provides uh, details on uh, each of the five baseline healthcare commitments, uh, CPMC's 2021 performance, uh, and DPH's determination of whether uh, CPMC is compliant on each. CPMC has exceeded the DA requirement of caring for 30,345 charity care or Medi-Cal patients. Uh, again, charity care refers to uh, health care provided to those who cannot afford to pay and without expectation of reimbursement. Uh, in 2021, CPMC cared for 30,779 unduplicated charity care and Medi-Cal patients. Uh, the second provision is related to community benefits, which are unreimbursed costs uh, incurred by CPMC to improve community health. And in 2021, CPMC exceeded the $8 million requirement, pro providing uh, $16.5 million in community benefits. 
uh, through grants and sponsorships, CPMC supported initiatives and programming aiming uh, to improve the health and well-being of residents and examples of these partnerships include support for Operation Access, the Lion's Eye Foundation, uh, which provides screening and specialty procedures to uninsured patients, uh, and capital funding as well was provided to Health uh, Right 360 Clinic by the Bay, SF Free Clinic, uh, which allowed them to continue serving uh, vulnerable San Franciscans. Uh, the compliance uh, for these uh, first two provisions were verified by Deloitte um, as a third-party audit. Uh, the next provision is related to charity care policies. It's CPMC's policy to provide full charity care to uninsured patients whose family income is at or below 400% of the federal poverty level. For patients who have insurance, uh, family income at or below 400% of the FPL, and, and whose medical expenses exceed 10% of their income, uh, CPMC will write off uh, the patient responsibility amount. Uh, the last provision is for CPMC to continue to support the Bayview Child uh, Health Center. Uh, and since ownership has been transferred to the South of Market Health Center, CPMC has uh, provided an operations grant, invested over $1 million, transferred assets, and is still the clinic's specialty and hospital partner. And this is all to ensure uh, that comprehensive primary pediatric care is provided to Bayview Health residents, or Bayview um, yeah, neighborhood residents. Um, as part of CPMC's ongoing five-year commitment to support the center's general operations, uh, CPMC has provided an operational grant of $227,000 in 2021. So the following three provisions in the DA focus on Medi-Cal, which is uh, public insurance for many low-income San Franciscans. Uh, Medi-Cal has historically and continues to be an important insurance for uh, option for San Francisco residents. Uh, for the first provision, CPMC has continued to participate in the Medi-Cal managed care uh, in Medi-Cal managed care with the San Francisco Health Plan as required. Uh, starting in 2014, CPMC met its obligation to assume responsibility for 5,400 new Medi-Cal beneficiaries, and CPMC continues to meet this obligation. In 2021, CPMC had a total of 40,182 Medi-Cal managed care beneficiaries, which was an increase from 2020. Um, under the next provisions of the DA, CPMC is required uh, to participate in a Medi-Cal managed care partnership uh, with a Tenderloin primary care provider. In June 2020, uh, the NEMS MSO uh, opened a primary care clinic at 650 Polk Street, and there is now one available MSO with a primary care provider based in the Tenderloin. CPMC reports that it is the hospital partner for 4,593 unduplicated lives in the Tenderloin throughout, uh, through the NEMS MSO uh, during 2021. So with regards to the question that I received from the Health Commission uh, on the NEMS patients, CPMC indicated that they could not provide uh, uh, data on, the, uh, on how many of the NEMS patients residing in the Tenderloin are new patients uh, in time for today's hearing. Um, and for historical context, prior to, prior to June 2020, uh, there was no available MSO with a primary care provider based in the Tenderloin, and despite efforts by CPMC to support the creation of one, it was deemed uh, financially unfeasible uh, by clinic partners. And in 2015, uh, CPMC had initiated a partnership with NEMS MSO and St. Anthony's uh, Medical Clinic, a primary care clinic in the Tenderloin, to have St. Anthony's join the NEMS MSO. Uh, as a pathway for CPMC to meet this commitment, uh, and CPMC has reported that they recently restarted conversations to, to develop some kind of some form of partnership over the coming year. Next slide, please. 
So the DA uh, includes two provisions related to the number and type of bed space available at the Mission, um, uh, Mission Bernal and Van Ness hospitals. Uh, the first provision uh, places conditions on the operation of 30 additional shell beds at the Van Ness hospital. Uh, CPMC may not build out or place into operation this shelled space until after the Mission Bernal campus uh, has a hospital has a daily census of 75% for a full fiscal year, uh, and this provision is not yet applicable. Um, the second provision requires CPMC to provide certain inpatient urgent care and outpatient services at the Mission Bernal campus. Uh, CPMC may adjust, uh, reduce, re uh, move, or eliminate the specified services at the Mission Bernal campus, but first they're required to give the city at least six months prior notice um, for that reduction uh, and also meet and confer with the city on, a on the proposed changes. So in 2020, inpatient labor and delivery services at the Mission Bernal campus were temporarily, uh, temporarily relocated to the Van Ness campus in order to use the space as a potential COVID-19 surge unit. Uh, CPMC did not provide uh, the city with prior notice of these changes and was therefore found non-compliant uh, with this provision in the 2019-2020 uh, annual compliance findings. CPMC indicated that this non-compliance was a result of the pandemic. Uh, in 2021, labor and delivery services remain closed under the California Department of Public Health uh, COVID waiver. Um, and recently, CPMC has reported that they plan to restore labor and delivery services at uh, the Mission Borough campus, but uh, a timeline has not yet been provided. Uh, note that patients have continued to receive prenatal care at the women's clinic uh, at the Mission Bernal campus and are informed uh, that their labor and delivery uh, will be performed at Van Ness uh, campus. Uh, and with regards to the commission's question uh, regarding the, the 2021 uh, compliance finding, uh, so for the 2021 review, uh, DPH didn't find CPMC non-compliant for their lack of prior notice uh, for the closure as they had already been found to, to be non-compliant in the previous year's review uh, uh, when this action took place. Place. Uh, DPH has identified the temporary closure of labor and delivery as an item of concern and continues to monitor uh, the closure to ascertain uh, when services may resume. Uh, during this period, uh, DPH has also sought to understand uh, the impact that the temporary closure on CPMC, uh, the temporary closure um, has had on CPMC patients and how pregnant persons uh, are receiving care at uh, both campuses. Uh, DPH will continue to monitor and follow up with CPMC on this issue. So the first provision on this slide requires uh, CPMC to establish a Center for Excellence in Community Health at uh, the Mission Bernal campus. Uh, the center named Health First serves patients uh, in chronic disease management by integrating community health workers into a multidisciplinary care team. Uh, health First uh, served 652 unique patients in 2021, which was below the annual target of approximately 800 patients as set forth by the DA. C CPMC reported that uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic or the pandemic presented challenges in terms of patient hesitancy uh, for coming in for services and even when services were offered virtually. Um, also due to the pandemic, uh, the community advisory board did not meet in 2021 and was replaced by a series of phone interviews uh, with providers and patients. So with the, the stabilization of COVID, uh, CPMC expects patients to come back to Health First, uh, and CPMC has indicated that Health First will conduct additional uh, outreach uh, to community providers to increase referrals. Uh, DPH staff will continue to monitor and follow up with CPMC to ensure that appropriate measures are taken to increase uh, the patients served by this program. 
the second provision on this slide requires CPMC to establish a center for excellence in, in senior health to assist patients with or at risk of chronic illness and to provide improved inpatient post-hospitalization care to seniors. Uh, this center is made up of the acute care for the elderly unit, uh, the hospital elder life program, and a pilot partnership with the San Francisco Village. Uh, the ACE unit was established at um, the Mission Bernal campus with 34 beds, providing interdisciplinary care for, uh, to older adult patients. Um, ACE saw, the ACE unit saw 1,149 patients in 2021, exceeding the goal of, um, in the, set out in the DA of 600 patients. Uh, and further, 27 patients were referred to the SF Village, uh, 11 of whom were enrolled. Uh, the third provision on this slide requires CPMC uh, to submit a proposal for the development of the Mission Bernal Campus Medical um, Office Building uh, within five years of the opening of the, the campus. Um, CPMC reported that the site permit uh, for the Medical Office Building is pending approval by the city. Uh, next slide, please. So the remaining uh, healthcare provisions in the DA are standalone and cover multiple topics. So the first provision on this slide requires CPMC to develop uh, a specific proposals for providing subacute care uh, services. And just as a background, this is a form of subacute, uh, or this is a form of skilled nursing, but for patients that require a higher level of service, such as ventilator care or tracheotomy care, uh, and to present these proposals to the health commission. Uh, this obligation was completed in 2016, uh, and this is the only provision in the DA that uh, addresses subacute services. Uh, DPH has been working uh, to support the development of new subacute beds uh, in San Francisco, and in 2021 convened meetings with the San Francisco Community Hospitals to explore options uh, to support opening SNF and subacute beds in the city. CPMC participated in these meetings and has continued to engage uh, with uh, DPH through 2022. Uh, and Commissioner, with regards to uh, the question on subacute beds at Chinese Hospital, uh, currently Chinese Hospital has a 23-bed unit in the process of SNF and subacute uh, sub certification. Chinese Hospital was also awarded, awarded a $5 million, uh, um, $5 million from the state to support uh, renovating a unit to provide subacute care. Um, this will add up to an additional 30 beds, uh, and this unit will go through the, uh, licensing certification as well, but on a different timeline from the 23-bed unit that I mentioned. Uh, CPMC is not committed to participation or financial support for these projects, and DPH is continuing uh, discussions for, uh, with San Francisco hospitals around partnership for subacute beds. For the second provision, CPMC uh, continued to participate, participate in the San Francisco Health Improvement Partnership, a cross-sector initiative uh, with San Francisco nonprofit hospitals, DPH, UCSF, and community-based organizations to improve the health and wellness of San Franciscans. Uh, CPMC is required uh, as well to continue to par um, their partnership with Chinese Hospital, uh, and CPMC's contract with Chinese Hospital was renewed in early 2020, which uh, satisfies CPMC's compliance with this provision. Uh, the last provision is on the National uh, Culturally and Linguistically Appropriate Services, or CLASS, standards. Uh, it's CPMC's policy to deliver services in accordance with the mandates of these standards. And though CPMC is uh, compliant with this provision, commissioners and community members have expressed concern in past hearings regarding uh, the cultural and linguistic appropriateness of CPMC services. Uh, in a previous joint hearing, uh, the Health Commission requested CPMC to provide supplemental information for uh, the Van Ness and, and Mission Hospitals to help the city have a better understanding of the CPMC's compliance with class standards, and also to demonstrate uh, uh, that these new hospitals are truly serving the communities that they're located in. 
um, at um, the Health Commission's request, uh, CPMC provided uh, data for 2021 on patient preferred language, patient and staff race ethnicity, uh, and the number and proportion of services uh, for which interpreters uh, are requested. Uh, information was also provided on the process CPMC uses to incorporate patient perspectives uh, into its class standards uh, and continuous improvement efforts. Uh, and this supplemental information was provided in the annual report for your consideration. So thank you, and this concludes uh, my section of the presentation. Thanks, Max. So Sutter Health is generally in compliance with the requirements of the development agreement. Ongoing areas of concern include labor and delivery services at Mission Bernal, patient enrollment in the Centers of Excellence and Community Health there, the provision of culturally and linguistically appropriate services, and Sutter's increase in rates in its role as a provider for the city's health service system. Staff's recommendation to the directors of public health and planning is to find CPMC in compliance for the 2021 reporting year. Uh, representatives of Sutter Health do not plan to make a presentation today, but they are available for questions as is staff. And that concludes our staff presentation. Very good. If that concludes presentation and having no presentation from CPMC, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commissions uh, on this matter. And if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Hello, commissioners. My name is Billie Jean Wall, and I'm here representing the Sutter CPMC clients who are no longer benefiting from the Community Aquatics Exercise Program. A program the hospital continued for almost three decades. All of the class members are suffering since access to the warm water has been denied. The warm water really does us a lot of good. It loosens our muscles and our, our nerves, and we can actually work out. And it's, you know, uh, prevention of further things that could go wrong. Um, it is the best medicine for allowing most of us to move the warm water. So it, it's behooves them to keep the program going. They, they had it for 30 years. I don't know why they can't continue with it. Um, the, I, from what I understand, Sutter has uh, represented that this has been a drop-in recreation program without structure. The opposite is the truth. The application process requires a form for the patient to fill out a form from the doctor, including why you would benefit from the program. Then you were notified by phone that your application had been received and accepted, and then you had to wait until a spot became available in one of the classes. Um, we had physical therapists as our instructors there were five um, classes at Davies with a different instructor every day, and they were part of the physical therapy 
program at the hospital. However, um, I do want to say that there was a program at the Pacific campus as well. The same thing, there were five classes uh, per week, Monday through Friday. And so that got ended prior to um, the program at Davies. Um, there were strict rules in place that we could not enter the water until our instructor arrived. I know that I am here to discuss the program at Davies, but I did feel compelled to tell you about the uh, program at Pacific Campus on Clay Street. Thank you, ma'am. That is your time. Okay. Thank you. Seeing no other members of the public in the chambers coming forward, we'll go to our remote callers. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Hi. This is Dr. Um, Teresa Palmer, and um, I um, uh, was a longtime doctor at St. Luke's, and um, uh, feel that um, that you need to, as you have an opportunity to do under the develop agreement to extend the monitoring of CPMC's performance with public uh, participation for another 10 years. There's an ongoing pattern with CPMC of maximizing profitable short-stay acute care while shorting less lucrative services that benefit the underserved population in San Francisco. I feel that in terms of healthcare services, your committee has stood on its head to find CPMC compliant, uh, even when there's obvious patterns of obfuscation and non-compliance. For instance, with the care for tenderloin lives, CPMC just adopted the patients at uh, Northeast Medical Center, and, and most of them aren't new. Um, they divested uh, St. Luke's Clinic and the other low-cost clinic with a five-year payoff. They have stopped, they have overtly violated the development agreement by stopping labor and delivery at St. Luke's, have given no notice, have continued, you know, it was under cover of COVID, but it's continued, there's no justification for this, and it's a gross violation. With the Davis Warren Pool, they lied to the city attorney about its use for low-cost group therapy to avoid a Proposition Q hearing and has, have discontinued this low-cost use. This is absolutely egregious for these very disabled and needy people, and we need a Proposition Q hearing on what they've done with Davis Warren Pool low-cost services. In terms of the subacute um, skilled nursing, they are not participating in financial support of uh, new subacute beds. And due to um, uh, transitional problems from St. Luke's to Davis with the patients that did um, remain in their uh, care, uh, due to low quality of care and staffing issues, there was a 50% die-off of these patients. And uh, one patient it remains in a vegetative state due to uh, debilitation, poor care, and um, 
of what happened to her in the transition between um, St. Luke's and Davies. Um, the Geriatric Center of Excellence, uh, the discharge care is a joke. Referring 27 patients in a rolling 11 in Thank a you, complete ma'am. That is your time. Go ahead, caller. Hi, this is, uh, my name is Gloria Rivera Simpson. Um, we have been fighting for the hospital-based uh, subacute beds here in San Francisco since 2017. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a position where you don't have a choice? How did that make you feel? Have you ever been in a position where your life depended on it? Have you ever had to make a decision of leaving your family and not knowing when you will see them again? This is how many families been going through with no permanent hospital-based subacute in San Francisco. These are San Franciscans. We live here in the city of San Francisco where we were born, in the city where we put our sweat into, raised our families, paid our taxes. As long as we are functional is when we matter. Is this how it is here in San Francisco? Do we not deserve better than this? Not only are we faced of getting old, but now we are scared that we have no need of, there's no subacute care beds permanent here in San Francisco. We have, uh, we have to go to another county where we can't see our family. How is it, how is it that you can house thousands of homeless people in San Francisco but we cannot provide 75 hospitalized subacute beds, permanent beds for these permanently ill people in San Francisco. CPMC is continuing eliminating programs from the San Franciscans. How many more programs are they going to eliminate? Again, we have been fighting this since 2017. Health commissioners, what steps are you taking to help ensure that this vital care remains available in San Francisco? Thank you. Hello, this is Melanie Grossman. Ma'am, you're gonna to need to uh... Turn off the volume on your computer or television. We're getting a lot of feedback. Hello, this is Melanie Grossman. Okay, that's much Can better. You hear go me? ahead. Yes, go ahead, ma'am. Yes, thank you for um, for um, helping me out here. Yes, I wanted to talk about. Um, the closure of services uh, through at Sutter and at um, CPMC over the years. And uh, the warm water pool is just the latest in a number of closings that um, since I've been involved, uh, there's been a closure of an Alzheimer's unit, which was a residential unit, closure of SNF beds, 
And CPMC is not the only person who is guilty of this. Most of the hospitals in San Francisco are also guilty of this. But um, that we are in trouble in the city because there are no place, no places for our um, people in need of beds, especially our seniors, most of them women. There's no place for them to go. And uh, the continued closure and the closures and the uh, reduction in services is just a, is just um, appalling and um, a continuation of a trend. And I'd like to know when when will this stop? Thank you. Hi, this is Antonio Rivera. Um, so I wanted to agree with the first caller, Terry Palmer, in stating that she feels that there should be a 10-year extension into the development agreement. I think there should also be a 10-year extension. And to add to that, um, it was stated somewhere that CPMC was not in compliance with the development agreement due to the labor and delivery reduction services for not notifying um, the SF government, if it appears that there's no penalties, then I feel like there needs to be revisions with the development agreement because in this case, it seems like not just CPMC, but like any hospital could reduce services without penalty. So if there's no penalty, like what's even the point of the development agreement if, you know, whoever's abide by that agreement can do whatever they want. Thank you. believe this next caller already spoke, but why don't we go ahead and unmute them just to confirm. Hello, ma'am. Have you already spoken? This is Gloria. Did, did you hear me earlier? We did hear you earlier, ma'am. Okay. Thank all right. You. Thank Sorry. you. Thank you. That's quite Thank all right. Okay. Last call for public comment. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request to speak at this time, commissioners, public comment is closed, and this informational item is now before you. Great, thank you, staff, for the presentation, and to all those who called in, um, just ask commissioners, whether from the Health uh, Commission or Planning, if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make, just use your button and we'll, we'll call on you. Chair Bernal. Yes, thank you, President Tanner, and thank you to members of the Planning Commission. We have not met in person on this topic for many years. We did have one virtual meeting over the course of the pandemic. Um, thank you also to DPH and planning staff and other city staff for your presentations today. Um, my question focuses on the tenderloin and the requirements uh, to um, under the new Medi-Cal beneficiaries commitment. Um, it notes in the presentation that um, CPMC was unable to provide data on how many new patients, new Medi-Cal patients were enrolled through their partnership, um, either through NEMS or 
through uh, the St. Anthony's Clinic um, in advance of this meeting. Uh, my question is, what is the plan for providing that data and determining how many of those, I believe more than 4,000 patients that are being served there are indeed new patients and if that they do not meet that 1500 uh, patient requirement, what are the plans to get to that requirement? Is anyone from staff or CPMC available to answer the question? Uh, thank you, uh, Commissioner Bernal. Um, we'll continue to follow up with CPMC to uh, try and ascertain that data as well. But um, also, um, I'll note that, um, C um, and I'll have um, hope, uh, defer to CPMC in terms of kind of their compliance with uh, the actual provision regarding whether or not the patients have to be unduplicated as well. And then just as a quick follow-up also, I note that it notes that um, the St. Anthony's Clinic has become a part of the NEMS network. Does that mean that indeed there are two clinics operated, both 650 Polk Street and as well as St. Anthony's, because the development agreement requires uh, partnering with two clinics um, or so with two MSOs? Yeah, um, I didn't mean to add to a confusion about um, their partnership. So, um, I, and I can have, um, I'll defer to CPMC in terms of the status, but uh, currently um, CPMC had indicated that they don't have a current partnership with St. Anthony's, but they were looking to re-engage with them this following year to establish. So I don't know of the nature of the partnership between NEMS and St. Anthony's if that continues to exist, but CPMC has indicated that they would like to participate or partner with uh, the St. Anthony's clinic. and. Of course, with the history, I think, as you well know, that there's been a series of leadership changes, and that's been CPMC's rationale for the kind of on and off um, nature of their partnership with St. Anthony's. Thank you. Did you want to hear from CPMC on that topic? Yes, please. Commissioners, thank you for having us. My name is Kate Weiland. I'm the manager of community health for CPMC. Um, so this provision has been kind of confusing over the years. Um, and there has not been an available new MSO in the tenderloin throughout the history of the DA. So um, the clause in the DA actually says that if no new MSO becomes available prior to 2015, um, then there's not really anything that we can do about it. We have been working with St. Anthony and NEMS over the years. and. Um, we've always been a longtime partner of, of NEMS in the Tenderloin and not in the Tenderloin. So that is an MSO that we've been a partner for a long time. We see over 30,000 patients in that partnership in general. That 4,500 patients in the Tenderloin from NEMS, they let me know that about 8% of those were new in 2020. Um, so that's about you know 300 or so new patients that were new Medi-Cal enrollees in the Tenderloin. Um, the 1,500 new Medi-Cal enrollees we were not able to meet that because no new MSO was available prior to 2015. So at the time, we had worked with St. Anthony's and other providers to try to create an MSO, and that was just not deemed financially viable by the partners, so they didn't want to create it. Um, St. Anthony's does serve patients in the Tenderloin. They are partners with, MS, with NEMS. I actually spoke to them yesterday, and they didn't have a great sense of how many patients they're really working on together with NEMS. But we are in talks with them. They have a new medical director and a new director of the organization. So we are committed to serving patients in the Tenderloin. We have other ways that we partner with organizations in the Tenderloin through grants, which has wound up being kind of more viable given that no new MSO was created and that the partners there didn't want to create one. So um, I'm happy to share more about those other partnerships as well. 
would those other partnerships result in meeting the requirement of 1,500 new Medi-Cal patients, and what would be the plan for doing so? So not necessarily. Um, I think we partner with San Francisco Community Health Center, which sees patients in the Tenderloin, and we're also the hospital partner for them. But we have not um, been able to enroll 1,500 new Medi-Cal enrollees in the Tenderloin, and that isn't really us. That's that there's no new MSO in the Tenderloin to enroll 1,500 new patients. There just never has been. So. Did you have any other questions or comments? Great, thank you. Uh, Vice President Christian? You elevated me. I'm um, a commissioner. Oh, I'm, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm looking at not correctly uh, at my notes. I apologize. But I appreciate that. Uh, so uh, thank you, uh, President Tanner and members of the uh, Planning Commission. It's my pleasure to be with you for the first time today in this joint hearing. Um, my comment, my first question and comment was uh, initially raised by President Bernal, but I do have additional questions, and if Ms. Weiland could come back to the podium, that would be uh, appreciated. Thank you. Sure. So um, I'm new to this, and so uh, I ask for your uh, understanding. Um, so since 20, since before 2015, you said there was no MSO. So first, just for the record, and to make, for me to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying, is that a medical service organization? Yes, managed services organization. Okay, thanks. And so you, if I'm remembering correctly, you said that you were not able to, um, document this because before 2015, there were no new organizations? Right, so we, the clause in the development agreement basically says we should work to try and create a new MSO in the Tenderloin. That means working with you know, primary care providers who are based in the Tenderloin. If no, and if we create one, then we need to see 1,500 new Medi-Cal enrollees within that new MSO. Um, the development agreement says if no new MSO is able to be created prior to 2015, um, then you know, that clause kind of expires. We continue to be asked about it. It continues to come up just because, of course, there's a dire need in the Tenderloin for primary care, and we have done everything. We've done a lot to try to work with providers in the Tenderloin to provide grant funding to work with NEMS. Um, we did, um, we're contracted with one MSO, which is NEMS in the Tenderloin, but there was supposed to be another one in the DA if that was able to be created, but the clinic partners didn't want to create it because it was not deemed financially feasible. So that's kind of where it stands. So under the terms of the DA, uh, you were not required to attempt to do anything after 2015? Right. We were in compliance because there was no new MSO prior to 2015. That being said, we have continued to try to talk to St. Anthony's over the years, um, and they've had a lot of leadership changes, but we are back in touch with them, and so it's possible that they are going to be interested in creating a new MSO, but at the time that wasn't... Um, deemed feasible, so there wasn't really anything we were able to do to force the creation of one. Um, again, we do have this long-standing partnership with NEMS. They've opened a new clinic in the Tenderloin. They're continuing to do outreach to see more patients, so we're hopeful that we get more, you know, Medi-Cal enrollees from the Tenderloin through that partnership as time goes on. Thank you. So I'll rely on the city attorney to let us know uh, the legal interpretation of that. I'm not going to go to try to do that because I can't. Yes, um, sure. But I also just want to encourage you uh, to do all you can to create the services. I know that you are saying that you've done uh, 
a lot and that you continue to, but obviously, as you just recognize, San Francisco overall, but especially in the Tenderloin, we have a dire and a kind of lethal need for more services. And uh, so this is obviously an all-hands-on-deck problem in the city that could not have been anticipated before uh, when this, when this uh, DA was created. And so, uh, you know, I just want to join uh, the community and um, as the commissioner on the uh, health commission, ask you to do everything that you can to, in wh whatever ways that you can, to create those new services and to document them. I think we do need to know uh, what has been done and it seems um, um, kind of odd and unacceptable that there's no way to count the number of new uh, individuals, uh, unduplicated individuals uh, in the Tenderloin. And so, um, you know, I appreciate all the work that you've done and I know it's, you know, it can be impossible but still asking you to try to to try to do it. And since you're here, I, if these, my comments and questions were uh, directed towards you, so if you don't mind, I'll just you know, go, go ahead with it. So uh, starting with the pool. So it's my understanding, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, it's CPMC's position that because the pool was not designated as a treatment facility, there's no obligation to keep it open or report why it's closed. Actually, going to defer to a colleague on this one. Okay. Um, I'm going to bring up Melissa White uh, to talk about the pool. But I appreciate your comments about the tenderloin, and thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, commissioners. Melissa White. Thanks for having me. Um, on the pool, the pool has not closed indefinitely. The pool was closed during the pandemic. It reopened, and then it, we closed it again because the pump is broken and the lift is broken. So we are currently. Fix, fixing those issues, we imagine that that will probably be open end of August, early September. So I think there's some misunderstanding. So the pool is reopened, will, is, will be, remains open, will reopen after those items get fixed. Um, and it is for one-to-one -one therapy patients. So you have to have a doctor's order. And, you know, and I'm not a medical person. Yeah. And so if you can uh, help me with that. Yeah. So I... Does that, what, is it true that it was not designated as a treatment facility and that is one of the reasons that, it, that uh, CPMC relied on or is that just a misunderstanding? Well, I, I think it, and I probably ask our legal folks, but I think it has to do with the license, right? I mean, it's not, I think the difference was a community pool to a, a therapy pool. So a community pool is like what we all, you know, I. People can go to it, they can jump, you know, they can take classes. This is a therapy poll that was designated for, um, you had to have a doctor's order or a note to be able to come into the pool. Um, and prior to the pandemic, there were smaller classes that were done, maybe two to three people in a class. After the pandemic, when it reopened, it was, we trying to make it a smaller situation, um, we did, went back to one-to-one -one therapy. So that doesn't mean, though, that we can't have a conversation. And if a doctor, you know, prescribes a note, we we can look at going back to those two to three people classes. But that's where we are right now. When we reopened, it was more about let's make it smaller, make it safer, and we went to the one to one. And as soon as the um, the devices you need to reopen the pool, uh, you will reopen it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, uh, we imagine that those things will be fixed by the end of August, early September. 
is what our facilities folks are saying. Thank you, that's great news. Yeah. Um, and a caller mentioned that uh, the Pacific campus also had a pool and is also, and that pool is also not open. What is the status of that? So that pool was closed years ago. I mean, years ago. I mean, obviously, you guys know the, the PAC campus moved over to the Van Ness campus. So I'm gonna say that, that the PAC campus closed maybe six or seven years ago. Um, so that was a, a process well, well before me. Okay, uh, that's really helpful. Yeah, uh, thank you for uh, your ex explanations. I have a question about the subacute beds. I don't know whether that's something for you or not. Gonna get Kate back up there. Okay. <laughs> Hi, thanks. And so with the subacute beds, um, you know, again, it's just uh, looking at the fact that we are in this emergency, multi-year emergency that's not going to uh, go away. It's probably, sadly, going to get worse if we don't uh, throughout the city, throughout the, and, you know, you're here, and so I'll just say throughout your network that uh, more beds are not, uh, if, if more beds don't come online, uh, people in your network aren't going to get the treatment that they need, and certainly in the city, uh, others, you know, your colleagues uh, outside of your network, if they don't do it as well, across the city, we're going to continue to have this uh, lethal dearth of, uh, of facilities. And uh, individuals in your network obviously will have to go out of the city uh, to, maintain, uh, to have a, a bed if it's necessary. And so uh, just, if, I don't know if there's anything that you want to add about CPMC's efforts to create these uh, subacute beds? Yeah, I mean, I will say you're right. You know, there's a crisis both of subacute and sniff beds, I would say. I think um, we have been working with the city. Um, you know, it's been a while actually since they've reached out to us, but we are open to conversations about the best way to support the creation of new subacute beds in San Francisco um, and how we can be a part of that process along with our other hospital partners. Um, you know, I think it's something that, to your point, has to be kind of a citywide solution, and that's sort of where we've come on board and um, you know we have been compliant with sharing all of our data on subacute discharges and how many of those folks are going out of state I don't have those or out of you know the area I don't have those numbers in front of me um, but we are you know always open to conversations and trying to figure out a solution to both the subacute and sniff bed issue in San Francisco thank you for adding the sniff to that and uh, I'll just say that as a as a San Franciscan and as a health commissioner I would urge you to use more of your resources to uh, make this happen more quickly. And even if it's on, you know, kind of a, a triage basis, if, to the extent that that makes sense in reality, to just to, uh, you know, do all, all that you can to, to get this going, uh, even as, as small as it has to be, to just to add more resources to uh, keep people alive in the city and to keep them housed, San Franciscans, to be able to stay in the city and not be sent out of the city if they, uh, if they need that, that bed. And so uh, I think those are my comments, and just uh, thank you for your work, but please do more if you can. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Guillermo? Thank you, and uh, along with my fellow commissioners, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here together with uh, uh, members of the Planning Commission. Uh, uh, to hear the report and to, uh, I guess, um, make sure that we are doing our duty uh, as it relates uh, to the residents and citizens of San Francisco uh, and the dire need for health care and expanded health care uh, in San Francisco. My questions have to do with the Mission Bernal 
uh, labor and delivery uh, concerns. Um, there have been a, a number of uh, comments that we've heard uh, at the Health Commission and I think throughout the city uh, around uh, the need uh, and the concern uh, uh, around labor and delivery services. It was noted in the report that there is an intent by CPMC uh, to restart or to relocate uh, and open the labor and delivery uh, services, but uh, no timeline has been sent. Could you please um, share with us why uh, the delay or and what the process is going to be for setting a timeline and actually bringing those labor and delivery services back uh, to the uh, uh, areas of San Francisco uh, that are needed. We, we understand that the transportation issues uh, for patients having to go to uh, Van Ness as opposed to being able to maintain uh, a, a, lo a local uh, uh, services uh, for them is um, burdensome, uh, to say the least, and so, the sooner uh, we know and they know uh, that there is going to be uh, local services or nearby services uh, and a complete set of services for them is going to be important. So if you could uh, explain that, thank you. Well, thank you for that question. I'll introduce myself, Hamila Kaunaki. I'm an interim CEO of CPMC. And uh, Commissioner Christian, this is my first time here too, so. Uh, and uh, so thank you for the question. Uh, we will reopen our OB department, uh, inpatient OB department at uh, Mission Bernal. Uh, we would like to meet with DPH to discuss the details uh, for a safe return. We have continued outpatient services on that campus for women and OB services, uh, both antepartum and you know, frequent checks that you have to go see a doctor uh, for prenatal care. It is only the episode of delivery that was consolidated at the one location, which you heard uh, from Max talking about. The primary goal was uh, to convert those beds, have them available for a surge in the city, as we had reported to the Department of Public Health over and over again uh, on that particular topic, to be ready to serve San Franciscans. Thank you. I appreciate your intent to do that. Is there, um, again, uh, a sense of the timeline, and are you waiting for the DPH to approach you, or are you initiating? No, we will, we will after this hearing, we will set up a meeting with DPH to talk about the details for a safe return. Okay, We're not I, waiting for them. We will call them. Great, and uh, we would appreciate uh, as soon as there uh, is uh, meaningful yes. progress. Uh, to be notified of that meaningful progress. And so, again, uh, the patients that are in need of the services will be able to be assured that I understand that the um, prenatal services are available, but as, as we know, at the time of labor and delivery, to have to trans worry about being transported uh, to a place that is unfamiliar uh, at the time of critical need uh, is something that is more than just sort of a physical burden uh, on the patient. And so the sooner that we can hear uh, that those uh, uh, services have been are, are on their way to being reinstated, that would be great. I had Absolutely. another small question about the, um, uh, the Center of Excellence at the, um, at the campus, and I don't know if that's something that you can quickly, it, it just uh, uh, quickly, it said the, um, Community advisory board meetings uh, were replaced with uh, stakeholder interviews. Are, is that community advisory board being reinstated uh, on a physical uh, meeting basis? And when, when uh, will that occur? 
I'm going to have to defer to my expert. Um, yes, they are back in person. We actually just had a meeting last month um, with a number of patients and providers. So those are back in person now and will be done at least twice a year. Great. And then one other minor question. Well, not minor, but uh, uh, the staffing, uh, it said it was in includes two languages. Could you share with us what those languages are? And is there an, uh, a, an intent to expand those languages? They're just Spanish and English right now. Um, the majority of patients seen there are Spanish speakers. Is there an intent to expand... Uh, the um, number of languages of made available, uh, given the uh, population of San Francisco, even though the majority of the patients are Spanish-speaking, we all know uh, that uh, proportionately uh, there are many other languages uh, that are going to show up, if not already showing up. Sure. So our interpreter services are always available for all patients. Right now, the community health workers that are embedded at the Center for Excellence are Spanish and English speakers. Um, but of course, you know, staffing changes as needs you know, present themselves in the community. So I'm sure there's a possibility of that. I don't think right now that has been identified as a huge need, but of course it's something that we're, to your point, aware of that this is a, you know, multicultural city with a lot of different languages and we do try to meet those needs. Thank you, appreciate uh, your answers to the questions. Uh, and I would encourage you uh, to not wait until, uh, particularly on the language services, uh, a problem presents itself with regard to the need, but to proactively uh, um, collect the data or do the work that is necessary to see whether there are uh, proactively language, other languages that are required. Thank you. Thank you. That's the end of my questions. Great, thank you so much. Commissioner Koppel? Yeah, thanks for all the staff involvement today. Great to see some of our uh, familiar health commissioners uh, and new faces. Uh, just for your reference, uh, I'll kind of just make some comments on the construction compliance. I'm still a uh, dues-paying member of Electrical Workers Local 6, so I've been tracking this project since day one. I remember when it was a huge block-wide hole in the ground, really, really, really deep. I was looking for a picture of it. I don't have it. Um, but that's how far this project has come. Uh, I've been working integrally with uh, Ken Nim and uh, Chase Torres throughout the process, making sure that um, more women and disadvantaged uh, residents from uh, 94124 neighborhoods have had a chance to uh, work with and through City Build, feeding into the Building Trades Apprenticeship Programs, uh, which many of uh, are here located in San Francisco. Uh, and these kind of jobs employ a lot of um, construction workers on the job sites as well as apprentices and also uh, city build graduates in the offices working for the contractors doing a lot of the paperwork too so uh, couldn't have been happier that jobs like these I uh, wish there were more of them um, but uh, the, throughout the process with uh, the labor and construction and uh, completing the build out I couldn't have found CPMC in more compliance so thanks again thank you very much Commissioner Braun yes um, I'll echo that. It's great to be here with the members of the Health Commission. Um, appreciate the opportunity to have this hearing together. And also thanks to all the members of the various departments um, in the, within the city, all the city staff who have worked on this, as well as um, CPMC. I have uh, kind of two issues I want to just ask some questions about. So one item uh, relates to the build-out of um, improvements at the Guerrero and San Jose Plaza um, that was part of the development agreement. And from what I read, it, my understanding is that 
Those improvements were supposed to be completed at the time of the opening of the plaza adjacent to the Mission Bernal campus, which I assume that means the plaza on Cesar Chavez. And that is now open and it's, it's gorgeous. Um, but I'm just wondering what the state, you know, this is the 2021 report. Um, the, the plaza hasn't been built out at all yet um, today in 2023. So what's the state, the status of that right now? Yeah, um, the, my understanding is that the plaza is either recently completed or just about to be completed, the, the one at the, the hospital. And that is the benchmark set in the, in the development agreement for completion of Guerrero Plaza. We've had a pretty lengthy process of design and permitting. It's a, although it's a small location, the Guerrero Plaza, it's a complex one. It, you know, it impacts a public street. The, the site itself is a public right-of-way. Um, so they need a major encroachment permit to, to create that park and also um, it's going to affect driveways and drainage inlets and so on. So there, there has been a lengthy planning process. Um, we've also, over the course of the development agreement, seen a number of changes in what the city wants and what is feasible to build in the entire surrounding area. And so we went through a process twice now of um, substituting, as the development agreement allows us to do, some improvements that either have already been built through other means or that we've determined were not needed after all. And that allows CPMC to take those funds that were originally earmarked for those improvements and move them over to the plaza. Um, I'm happy to say that we have just completed the second substitution um, agreement that we're going to be able to substantially increase the funding um, that's needed to, to build Guerrero Plaza and that we anticipate um, that uh, CPMC already submitted a permit application for the major encroachment permit and for the improvements they need. Um, that, that permit is in process, but we expect the approval now to be able to, to take place relatively quickly and for the plaza to be under construction, we hope, this year. Um, okay. I don't know if uh, representatives from Sutter have anything to add to that um, since they're the ones actually pursuing the permit. Did you want to hear from the health system on the permit prior? Progress. No, I think that that answers the question. I appreciate the answer. Um, certainly, it stood out to me as given that the you know the timing of the, that opening was supposed to be linked to the timing of the the hospital's plaza opening. Um, so it's good to hear there's progress on that. I understand it could be complex as well because I think there's also intersection improvements that are happening at that intersection possibly this year. Um, so I do appreciate that. Um, my other question is around we received some comments about the transportation demand management measures and specifically the clipper cards or or encouraging um, employees to shift away from the single occupancy vehicles through um, transit measures um, you know I I'm wondering if uh, well first of all are there any updates you know I, I saw in this report that 18 percent of the employees were enrolled in the transit subsidy program um, and that the transit fair was expected to resume in 2022. Uh, what's, what's sort of happened since the 2021 uh, period for this report? Um, in terms of what's happened since 2021, um, I, Varam, do you want to say something? Okay, come on. This is Varam Asayan from uh, Sutter Health. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, Varam Asayan with Sutter. Um, so the transit fares were, we were hoping to start in the fourth quarter of 2022, but the COVID uh, order was lifted thereafter. So we are going to be having four transit fares, one at each of our campuses. Uh, hopefully we're targeting November of this year. Uh, we might uh, have a second transit fare also at our Venice and Geary uh, campus since over 50% of our employees work in that transit-rich intersection. 
Um, so that's uh, that's our that's what we're uh, aiming for. We're beefed up our intranet homepage. We have a dedicated space where employees can get information about transit, not only transit, but about other ways of getting to work um, and the resources and benefits that we offer to allow for that. Um, I think within CPMC and outside of CPMC within the Sutter, other Sutter affiliates, everybody's uh, uh, commute patterns have changed drastically and we're, um, we've fallen behind in terms of our uh, transit you know, ridership and it's gonna be a number of years we project before we get back to a level um, of you know, pre-pandemic um, goal setting, but we're, we're, um, I think we have measures in place where we're trying to get to those, get to those levels. Um, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I don't have any follow-up questions, but just to say, I mean, yeah, certainly the world has changed <laughs> quite a bit since the development agreement was signed in terms of how we're um, getting around and where folks are going, but um, I think that that's just a challenge to be met and it makes the TDM measures all the more important and the need for a really robust implementation of them all the more important, uh, including you know, making this as easy as possible, the choice as easy as possible for employees to decide to take transit or walk or bike or carpool um, now that we're out of the, the public health emergency. So I, I would just encourage that uh, all those efforts resume and um, are redoubled at this point. But thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Well, we have on that topic. I'm just curious, sir, if you have any insight into, imagine there's been um, not only changes in commute patterns, but changes in who works at the facilities, as I think a number of organizations have experienced just turnover um, during the pandemic and certainly health systems uh, among them. Do you have onboarding for new staff that informs them of the transit um, and kind of non kind of uh, SOV um, ways to get to work, kind of building on Commissioner Ron's question about how we're making it really easy and, you know, sometimes if folks are new, learning to navigate a new transit system to a new location, a new job site could be, comes sometimes a burden and, and hopping in the car could be easier. Could you elaborate a little on that? Yeah, we, um, you know, our, our hiring numbers have picked up uh, since the since the pandemic and um, uh, we have new employee orientation uh, that uh, employees need to go through and a big part of that is providing them with information on their, not only their commute options, but the benefits that are afforded to them um, through, um, we use WageWorks in terms of making it as easy as possible or seamless to do, um, to, to pay for the, the transit, and then we have our, our subsidy program. Um, we also provide them with information about the, the, the pre-tax benefits associated with that. Um, we have emergency ride hold programs. Uh, we have a shuttle program to get folks from BART and Caltrans. Um, I think I think a challenge is also um, a, a challenge of perception of, of security as well. Um, we have three shifts of employees who who come to the hospitals and um, and particularly during the uh, the evenings uh, and, and 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 later on it's uh, it's 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 harder to try and. Um, um, I think I think it's a partnership with the with the city and with the the, the transit agencies to try and create an environment which is uh, uh, where people feel as safe as they can to to, to ride on uh, transit. Great, thank you very much, Commissioner Diamond. Thank you. I 
too want to um, express my appreciation for the joint hearing. Um, I learn a great deal from the questions uh, asked by the health commissioners, as I always do from the questions asked by my fellow planning commissioners. There are um, two substantive issues that have already been raised by the commissioners, one related to the timing of the labor and delivery services um, at the Mission Bernal Hospital and the other related to the TDM measures that I share the concern um, raised by both of them and I wanna dive a little deeper with staff and the city attorney as to what the legal requirement is. Um, like uh, many other uh, mothers in the city, I have benefited from the wonderful labor and delivery services that were provided and are provided at CPMC having had three children at their facilities. I also understand how absolutely critical it is, especially um, for new time moms, um, to have those services nearby. And so I'd like to understand whether we are relying on the good graces of CPMC to open up, uh, reopen labor and delivery at Mission Bernal or whether or not there's actually a DA requirement to do that. And I don't know whether staff or the city attorney can weigh in because while I am understanding as to why they shut it down without giving the 60-day notices during the COVID emergency, I don't really understand the lack of a timing commitment that was provided in response to the question that was asked. And so I'd like to dive a little deeper and understand whether or not it's actually an obligation or whether or not they can choose to do this um, or not do this. Uh, so if you could weigh in a little bit as to the nature of the obligation mm -hmm. and the consequences, if there is an obligation, I would appreciate it. Yes, thank you, Commissioner Diamond. So under um, the DEA, um, CPMC is required, right, to provide a set of services at Mission Bernal uh, and that they can adjust or reduce or move or eliminate these specified services, but they have to provide prior notice to the city and this, um, and they have to at least provide, I believe, six months uh, prior notice, which they did not provide, right, in uh, 2020, and which we found them non-compliant for. Uh, and so under the DA, if they provide that prior notice, uh, then they meet and confer with the city to discuss um, those uh, services, uh, and there's latitude within the DA. Um, I, I forget the exact criteria for them to decide whether or not to continue providing those services. So there's a requirement that they provide notice, but then they can reduce those services if they meet that certain criteria. Um, but there's also other provisions that they would have to kind of abide for, possibly a Prop Q um, hearing or the ordinance or what's allowed under um, that ordinance. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but. No, could you explain that please? Yeah, so I, let me um, actually provide you the specific language. Um, so Prop Q is a voter approved ordinance that requires private hospitals to provide public notice prior to closing a hospital inpatient or outpatient facility or eliminating or reducing the level of service, uh, services provided uh, prior to leasing, selling, or transferring uh, of management. Uh, and the Health Commission can decide whether or not to hold a hearing to determine whether that proposed act, um, action is detrimental to, to the community. And historically, DPH provides a, a presentation uh, on the impact uh, analysis of that proposed action at which point then the, the commission can decide whether or not that action is detrimental uh, to the community. Um, and so um, in terms of labor and delivery, um, 
um, what we, uh, um, we could, I guess that in terms of like why we found them compliant this um, for 2021 is that the action that of not providing notice had occurred in 2019 and 2020. Um, but if there continues to, be, um, we are of course happy to um, kind of revisit um, that finding as well to see um, uh, and kind of follow up with city attorney uh, regarding that finding as well. Uh, yeah, sorry. I remain confused. Um, and uh, obviously this is a DPH issue, not one for the planning department. Um, although I will say it's confusing in terms of the legal obligation under the development agreement, which does fall within our purview. So they didn't provide the notice. They didn't have the meet and confer. Um, but now they're in compliance because it's past that time period. I, I'm just having a hard time getting my head around what the city's what the city can do about that at this point in time. Obviously, the Prop Q hearing that's within your purview as, as health commissioners, i just trying to understand. An issue that was raised by one of the commenters as well, too, as to consequences and next steps. So I'm, I, I'm looking at the city attorney to see if they, you want to weigh in as to where this stands. Uh, sure. Um, and thank you, Commissioner Diamond. I believe the health commission secretary wanted to add something. I Thank you. Uh, really quick comment, Commissioner Diamond. The Prop Q hearing um, does not give authority to the Health Commission to, de to decide on whether something should close or not. It's simply a determination of whether it's detrimental. I want to make sure that's clear so th they can't make changes to what's been decided by a hospital. And, and like, like yourself, I've learned quite a bit at this hearing. Um, this DA was adopted before um, my time advising this commission, so I'm not intimately familiar with all of the details and their obligations and to the extent that some of your questions relate to um, the health services that are required and not truly land use questions, I'd have to defer to my colleague who advises DPH, who they're not here today. Um, but I'm certainly able to follow up about this question and circle back with you and other, any other commissioner who would be interested. Okay, I, I really uh, would appreciate that. And uh, as I said, it feels like this is more within the purview of the Health Commission than our commission. It's just troubling to me to not have received an answer, really, as to the timing. I'm mean, delighted to hear it's going to reopen, but concerned about the timing. So I'll just leave that, you know, as a question, I'd love to hear back from the city attorney and you know, raise that with the health commission for them to follow up on. My second question had to do with the TDM measures, which is within our jurisdiction as a you know, land use issue. And I noticed it wasn't covered by staff um, when they were going through um, the analysis as to whether or not they were in compliance or out of compliance. So I'm curious about the nature of the obligation in the DA uh, and the requirement, the actual requirements under TDM, and the, are they simply goals, um, or is maybe you could just delve a little deeper into the nature of the obligation, given where they are? Sure. The fundamental obligation is that um, CPMC has to reduce their um, single vehicle occupancy trips by 15% relative to the the condition at the time the development agreement came into effect in 2013. Um, and to that end, they have, um, you know, in addition to the programs that you've heard about, the, the transit subsidies and, and, you know, various other measures to encourage transit use and, and to d discourage uh, driving and parking. Um, they have done uh, a survey and analysis every year um, that the development agreement has been in effect um, to see uh, how effective um, in the interim 
um, their measures have been in reaching that goal. Um, I, I do want to point out that they are not obligated under the DA to achieve that goal until 2024. Um, clearly the pandemic, um, because it's encouraged people to, um, to drive in single occupancy vehicles, has impeded their ability, as you've heard, um, to continue to reduce um, the number of those trips. Um, there are still some measures available to them um, that, in addition to the ones that they already have in place, that could further reduce the, um, their, their uh, trip generation. Um, they have, again, another couple of years to do that, and this, again, is a snapshot from 2021. What we know about 2022 is not particularly encouraging. It continued kind of a pandemic pattern of, of commuting. Um, so, you know, obviously this is something that we're, that we're watching closely um, and that, that SFMTA is working with CPMC on to make sure that they continue the measures that they've already have in place and to consider whether additional measures are needed to meet that goal. Okay, and the goal is an actual obligation? It's an actual by obligation. By 2024. So what happens Correct. if they don't hit that goal? By if they don't meet that goal, then they need to, to take even further measures. Um, and some of those are outlined in the development agreement specifically. Others are available, you know, ongoing TDM, you know, as we learn more about the effectiveness of TDM measures in general over time, there are additional uh, technologies they could put in place or measures they could take. Okay, because I, you know, I'm very understanding of the disruptive um, uh, or the consequences of the disruptive event of the pandemic and that I'm just wondering whether or not the 2024 date needs to be amended in order for them uh, to actually achieve that? Um, if that's the case, what's the process for, for changing that date? Or, or, or do you consider changing the goal? I, I'm trying to figure out how you deal with that disruptive event in terms of noncompliance with the actual mm -hmm. terms of the DA. Yeah, um, you know, we could certainly by that time be in a position where we would have to make a finding that they're not compliant um, or you know, assess whether there's a realistic prospect of compliance within that time period. As to changing the DA or what or what DA obligations continue after that time, I think that's more a question for the city attorneys and I'd, we'd probably have to get back to you on that. Uh, sure, Deputy City Attorney Austin Yang, any amendment to the DA will most likely require an, uh, an approval by the Board of Supervisors. Um, so, I, you know, that would be there's a process for that, and there's typically a process outlined in the development agreement um, for considering um, an amendment. I'm not sure if this would be considered a major amendment or minor modification, so there are, it depends on what's specifically proposed. Okay, I, oh. I just wanted to raise the issue, which is they're clearly not in compliance at the moment. There's you know, an explanation for why they're not, but, um, I don't want to just leave it hanging out there because it feels, especially given the 2022 numbers that you referenced, that sort of what do we do about that? Because I, I am concerned about having obligations that aren't met and what are the consequences? Right. Yeah. And I, I would say that at this point, it, it certainly is a concern that they are not trending toward compliance. Um, and again, largely due to the pandemic and the, the change in commute patterns due to that. The TDM obligations go on indefinitely. They do not end with the DA. Mm -hmm. So they will still be required to, um, to maintain those measures and to continue to work toward the goals indefinitely. And SFMTA will continue to monitor how they meet those goals indefinitely. I, I think I'll leave it at that for the moment. Thank you. Well, certainly there's some more room to keep working on the TDM uh, since that continues on. Uh, Commissioner Chow. 
Oh, there, there we go. Uh, is that okay? Thank you. And I do want to thank my uh, fellow uh, planning and health commissioners again for uh, allowing us to meet in person. And that uh, uh, the uh, pandemic certainly has thrown off uh, many of the um, you know presumed obligations uh, or being able to meet that. So, so I understand that. And the first thing, and to take up uh, Commissioner uh, Diamond's point, I, I do think that our department needs to understand better where the Prop Q stands for the issue of OB. I mean, just because they did not uh, come in in 2019 and 2020 and were found not to be in compliance, uh, they still haven't come in. And uh, when does that clock actually tick now? Because Prop Q was designed to be prior to an action, and now that action has already occurred. Uh, and in, in, in that case, if Prop Q doesn't apply, what really does apply because something has closed. And uh, even if it were to open, uh, then uh, at what time or when do we get those reports? So I'm, I'm not asking Max for you to you know, answer at this point, but to bring that uh, problem back to legal uh, and the city attorney for us to understand, because uh, if Prop Q's intent was to allow the public to understand that something was going to be changed and give the public a chance to talk about that and give the uh, institution a chance to explain why that would be important, um, then our finding, while um, you know, advisory only, is uh, to be able to look at whether or not this is or is not an action detrimental or how it may or may not be detrimental uh, so that the public understands what is being changed. So to get back to that question, uh, not to just stand on the legal issue, how then do we come to an understanding as to what to do about the fact that OB closed at St. Luke's uh, for two years, uh, we didn't hear any more. Uh, we understand that obviously all institutions were asked to provide adequate space for uh, intended surges. We're very fortunate in the city with uh, all the uh, public health uh, 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 that, that uh, uh, we put in place that we didn't need it. Uh, and, and now that today the pandemic has ended uh, emergency-wise, I mean, obviously, the um, uh, virus is still around. Uh, then, then it's time to understand how do we get back to uh, the intent of Prop Q, which was to understand what is happening. Or if we can't do that, what's the timeline then uh, that we have to put this service either back in place or not in place? And I, I you know, and, and I understand from my fellow commissioners and uh, Commissioner Diamond, um, the desire to have delivery services as close as possible. But this brings back to my memory a number of years ago when Chinese faced the same problem. And we had a small unit there. And we then had to uh, safeguard the patients by making sure that we classified either high-risk or low-risk delivery, and high-risk delivery would not be done in our facility because we didn't have the appropriate neonatal intensive care, and uh, low-risk could be. 
But if you consider a low risk could then change to high risk and ultimately the hospital and our medical staff decided patients first and patients including the newborn needed to be somewhere where there was not a transport issue for that emergency, even those 10 minutes. Uh, uh, because the standard in San Francisco today is much higher than that. That is facilities that have these services. And as we know, several other hospitals have actually not resumed their OB services. And this goes back, of course, um, almost a generation. So I, I do think that we've had the opportunity for three years to understand what happened to the population, how they were impacted, and whether or not looking again from a patient standpoint and for that newborn standpoint, what is best. But then the question still comes, uh, we've got a void in service. Uh, will the institution put this back and will that be safe for patients or maybe they choose not to. I note that uh, in the city uh, we are having a, a, you know, a, a reduction in the number of cases that are, are you know, being delivered, uh, especially in our private hospitals. And uh, does this affect us? Because um, again, that was another uh, factor at uh, Chinese. Uh, there's a requirement, um, recommendation by ACOG that, you know, one, uh, that the institution should deliver at least a thousand babies in order to have adequate um, trained uh, staff. Then there's also the question of can one find trained staff? We're having trouble at general finding adequate trained staff. All of that may go into the equation as to starting up again a service, remembering that whatever they decide on, it's really important to decide it on the basis of what is best for the patient and, and for that newborn. So that's just sort of my comment about OB, which I, I know is uh, something that for many years here uh, we have discussed and um, was accentuated when uh, the unit was closed because of COVID. But I, I think one needs to step back then and take the opportunity to say, okay, what is really best for patients today? And if the DA allows for a change in services, they need to go through a regular process to do that. And where does then the public get to hear uh, with the intent of Prop Q uh, in mind? So, um, I, I leave that for um, uh, our uh, staff and for CPMC to consider, and, and I do want to welcome our new um, uh, uh, CEO to, uh, 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 to the city. Uh, the, uh, the whole, uh, remembering uh, uh, Commissioner Koppel's uh, comments, uh, I remember before building with Dr. Brotman and Dr. Katz sitting across the street from your Van Ness building and really holding a public uh, information session concerning the building of CPMC. So, so I, th I think uh, following this process over these 10 years, um, it shows that uh, I think uh, both the city and Sutter chose wisely that San Francisco should be a major, another major medical center here. And I think we're all working out the way that that major medical center then serves us in the community. 
So my uh, short brief comments about the rest of this is that it goes back to our centers of excellence at uh, St. Luke's uh, or Burnell Mission or Mission Burnell. I forget which way it goes, but um, I, I do think, and we've talked about that for several meetings here, that community input is really helpful. And uh, to hold advisory meetings once a year or with the pandemic, uh, at least uh, there was a verbal meeting, but understanding that there are, you know, just sort of brief reports, it sounds like, if you're only gonna do a once a year meeting, you don't really have follow-up on information that's coming to you. Uh, I think both of those uh, centers of excellence could, uh, again, benefit from having the community uh, speak with you about understanding what they would like to see and how to meet their needs because that that uh, when these centers of excellence were put in they were specifically for the community and so I think that at our next hearing uh, it would be nice to hear uh, what that was uh, a compliment though in terms of the class report which is the cultural competency report uh, the information that you have provided, that CPMC has provided, has been excellent this time. It has shown the effort going into the class standards, not just simply quoting them as we had in the past, but actually demonstrating the work that you're doing. Uh, the fact that you also gave us demographics in regards to the breakdown of the language uh, requests and, and how you've met those. So I want to thank you, uh, this, uh, all of us I think thank you, for uh, demonstrating the work you're doing. I think all we're asking for is show us what you're doing and not just merely quote the line and say we are in compliance. And I think that's an excellent example of the work that you've been doing and I commend you for that. Uh, less so on the subacute beds. Uh, and, and I would uh, join my fellow commissioners in really encouraging that CPMC work with the city, uh, continue to work with the city. Uh, you know that, um, uh, and, and we know and appreciate that the study done in 2016 was uh, with the sponsorship of CPMC. Uh, Now's the time as the city is working itself uh, 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 with, with, with funding on its side to try to create subacute services for um, the county's uh, patients, that it's an opportunity for all San Francisco hospitals to see how they can keep their San Francisco patients in San Francisco. And, and therefore, there really is an opportunity today to actually have a solution that would work for all hospitals. Sutter is one of our largest systems. And I would encourage then that uh, Sutter take a, a, consider a more active role with the city. Um, and not wait for the city to call you on this one either, but to uh, reach out to the city and find out how they can also uh, assure that uh, there can be subacute beds available to residents of San Francisco who are uh, patients of Sutter uh, and the CPNC campus when there is a need for subacute services. So um, 
that actually, I believe, concludes the comments I had. I'm really appreciative of also the summary that was put together. I think those concerns remain. Um, on a technical side, I think uh, Commissioner uh, uh, Commissioner Diamond has brought up the, the um, uh, complexity that how do we find this particular item on page 43 in compliance when we still don't have the uh, maternity uh, uh, program there. I mean, that's just a, a technical thing. It looks sort of odd that for two years we're saying they weren't in compliance and that this year they are, but there was no change in the uh, status. So I'd ask uh, uh, the Director of Health uh, to uh, consider that uh, um, that might uh, be uh, uh, marked in a different manner because I think we're still uh, working on uh, what is the best solution for delivery at uh, 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 Mission uh, Burnell. Burnell Mission, sorry. So uh, thank you. Uh, those are my comments and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, be able to make them. Great. Thank you so much for those. Commissioner Moore? Uh, Dr. Chow's uh, comments are a hard act to follow. Not only is the wisdom, <laughs> not only is the wisdom of having participated in this forum for the last ten years, basically from day one on, but also have gone through the depths of the struggle that surrounded the planning and the building of this project. And again, I thank my own fellow commissioners for wise comments, particularly Mr. Koppel, for reflecting on the building of the project, which was difficult. But I want to pick up, not repeating all the comments that you have all made, but look forward to the responsibilities that will rest with you a little bit longer than with us. Uh, the development agreement for most of its provisions is effective for 10 years. And I think for our group together, for us it is the last time that we are part of the of cycle to speak to each other. And while I agree with all the positive things that have been uh, achieved, um, the letters we received, particularly on the planning side, remind me of a number of things that are never, done, that are never finished because the road to success is always under construction. Uh, Commissioner Brown spoke about the uh, transportation management plan. We received a very strong detailed letter from the uh, Cathedral Hill neighbors who originally were the strongest opponents of the project given that they are directly affected being next to what is a residential neighborhood. They, are, for the last 10 years, participated in each uh, review, making their comments, and the comments are slightly changed because they acknowledge compliance, but they continue to remind us that the transportation management plan is not a project of, with a beginning and an end. That is basically how we, after COVID, have to look at all transportation management, particularly the reuse or more intense use of public transportation and the avails of clipper card, et cetera, to do better than we did before. And I think it is hard to measure after three years of nothing to all of a sudden figure out of how to properly measure it. Uh, but it has been pointed out in the past, and it, it's being pointed out again, that particularly the absence of data on encouraging the use of clipper cards uh, needs to be pursued uh, by everybody. And again, we know that parking is easier and safer, and I don't have an answer. I just want to re-emphasize re the collective need 
of looking at that. Uh, the other thing is, um, one second. Hmm? I am delighted about the uh, bus rapid transit on Venice. It makes a huge difference of how we use it, and C CPMC was a major participant for that to be studied properly and implemented. However, uh, I ride from the Clay Street station uh, all the way down to City Hall. And I hardly ever, it's a difficult thing to admit, see people get out at CPMC stop. And that says to me that the participation of patients as well as personnel is at least not on that line. I just want to say that the clipper card request that is being posed to us needs to be uh, more intensely studied. I want to shift to something that's a little bit harder to speak about, but was clearly reflected in many comments that I heard today. As you all know, this commission uh, two years ago committed to social and racial equity being one of the strongest elements that shapes and informs of what we do as a planning commission. And from the very beginning, as you may recall, particularly Dr. Chow will recall, we had the San Francisco, the San Franciscans for Health, Housing, Jobs, and Justice to be a very, very forceful voice in literally everything we did. And they reminded us, not only in the preliminaries to approving the project, but throughout the process, in the 10 years that this has now been heard by both commissions, that the attention to proper support for healthcare in the Tenderloin each year fell short of the compliance. It just did. I understand it's extremely difficult. I understand all of it. However, that does not diminish the obligation which, com which comes with the DA. And I think I want to perhaps quote one sentence that Professor Abramson, Aronson, who is now um, emeritus of uh, UC uh, Law School, wrote in his last sentence to us. And I'm not going to read <clears throat> what he says they're not doing, but I think he is asking us uh, that the highest order for us is to meeting the healthcare needs of low-income San Francisco individuals and families, not just under the DA, but also as a nonprofit entity that receives substantial tax relief for which the expectation is that its services will be fully and broadly available. That goes beyond what we do here in looking at compliance. That goes to encouraging a shift of attitude. And that has been, at least in my presence here, repeated each year when we look at compliance. And I want to leave it with that. Thank you, Commissioner Moore. Commissioner Imperial. Um, thank you, and I thank for all my fellow commissioners, both in Department of Public Health and Planning, with all of the questions. Um, I, I share many of the sentiments of other public health commissioners and also the planning. Um, in overview for me, um, I, it, and with all the comments from the public and the commissioners, there seems to be um, Yes, there are in compliance in terms of the fees. There are, you know, compliance in terms of the 
the you know the other services that it can provide, but at the same time, it's still falling short in what the community actually really needs or what the city really needs. Um, so I'm trying to um, figure out as well, or from my understanding, this is the last joint hearing for this development agreement, is it? Or I want, perhaps that's the clarification I need to ask. Is, is this the last joint public hearing? Yeah, it's a little confusing. Yeah. Um, the development agreement expires in August of this year, although as I've mentioned, some obligations do go on after that. Um, because of the annual review cycle, we expect to have a 2022 review for, you know, for last mm -hmm. year, and that report is due soon. That process starts very soon. And then also for the portion of 2023 for which the DA is still in effect, we're still discussing internally whether there'll be one more hearing or two more hearings, but there okay. will be at least one. Okay, thank you. That's a good relief, <laughs> at least for me, um, because in terms of, I mean, one for the planning commission side is the TDM requirement, and it looks like, and thank you, um, you know, you gave us a lot of information in terms of SFMTA monitoring this, um, in terms of the TDM compliance, and I would like to hear as well as from from the SFMTA side in terms of the TDM and whether they should increase their fees to the cities if they are not actually reaching their goal by 2024. Um, so would you like to comment on that? I don't think I can address that question directly. Mm -hmm. I just want to point out that we do have an SFMTA staff member who's available online for questions okay. if necessary. Um, Forrest Chamberlain from SFMTA is, is, is waiting on WebEx. Are, are they available? Can you check, Janice? I do see. Okay. So if you have questions for SFMTA, he is okay. there. Good to know. Thank you. They literally just fell off. I saw, oh, no. I no, saw no. Forrest and now they're. He's, he's promoted. He's promoted. <laughs> oh, he was. Okay. Um, there Mr. He is. Chamberlain, yeah. are you there? Could you address Commissioner Imperial's question? I do have a question in terms of SFMTA monitoring on the annual basis and whether it determines for any kinds of additional fees to the city. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Um, that that has not come up um, at, at least on this on this last review. Um, CPMC has paid all its fees for the DA to the city. They've they've completed that. Um, it's something I can look into and I can follow up with you. However, yeah. if that would be helpful. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that answer. Uh, I just would like to emphasize in terms of, again, the TDM compliance that if it's not reached by, you know, by 2024, it sounds like that's the deadline that perhaps that is the time to reevaluate those um, agreements as well, or that agreement, that particular agreement. Um, so thank you. And I would share also the other sentiments that in terms of reporting to us, um, I think it's better as well not to just say that you're in compliance, but what's actually being um, doing more as what is Commissioner Christian has mentioned before. We would like to hear what's actually being done um, in terms. I'm also interested in what I know this is in the purview of the public health in terms of the um, the in the tenderloin. Um, what are actually the barriers of the partners in the community? Why, um, what is the barriers in there and why is it officially, financially unviable? I think we also need to understand that. Um, and also I do not want to blame the, the you know, blame the, 
do the blaming on the on the community partner side, but sometimes community partners also have a lot of struggles as well. And we need to understand that and how can really, what is the hospital is doing, CPMC is doing to support that. Um, so I think we need more information, not just what is being compliance. Um, so I share with, um, you know, in terms of this kind of hearings, because we've had this kind of hearing be, be, before between, um, with the tenderloin and other closures of the programs, and until now, um, it's still like the same information we've been having. So, um, so that's what I'm looking forward in the next hearing, and I'm glad to hear that this is not is the last anything? hearing. <laughs> thank that's you. That's what he said. Great, thank you very much. I'll make a few comments, and I do see Commissioner Christian and um, President Bernal have their hands up. I do see a few hands up from commissioners that I think are from your prior speaking, so if you do want to speak again, let me know, um, but I only see two additional lights. Um, certainly been a, a very robust hearing. Thank you all for your expertise and the questions that you bring, and then um, to planning commissioners for what the com expertise you bring, and I would just not add much because I think we've covered all the topics, but just to say there's clearly a lot of progress, a lot of great things have happened, a lot of elements in the DA are in compliance and really have realized the very hard um, negotiated and thought out requests from community and city and the multiple stakeholders who brought the DA into existence and then have carried it forward to what will, you know, I guess our, our penultimate hearing uh, perhaps, and, and we have one more next year. But just to, to note the areas of concern that we have all asked questions about, that we heard um, folks call in or perhaps writing into us about, um, and just to continue to make sure we can be working on those, that there's really good communication. Um, happy to hear that there will be uh, outreach to the Department of Public Health about the labor and delivery services, and, and certainly wanting to be very thoughtful about what is best for patients um, in that context and making sure that um, whatever happens uh, is happening in a way that the public can understand what's happened and that there can be um, really just a clear clarity around that. Certainly we understand things happening and changing for the pandemic and I think it behooves CPMC to then really make sure that we are being transparent with the public going forward and trying to explain what's happening or why certain things can or can't happen um, that the public may be expecting. Um, and again, I just really want to thank everybody for their time and attention today. And with that, I'll call on Commissioner Christian. Thank you, President Tanner, and I'll be brief in, uh, in regards to the time. Uh, first, though, I do want to say that I've learned so much just in this short time from the Planning Commission, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity to sit with you. And also, I want to say that uh, one of the things I love about being on the Health Commission is attending meetings with uh, Commissioner Chow. <laughs> I learned so much about the history of uh, everything in this city, but particularly uh, with respect to the history of our obligations and today as well as, you know, with respect to yours. Um, I wanted to um, ask uh, regarding uh, Commissioner Koppel's comment about the labor force uh, uh, issue. Are you referring to city build uh, as being uh, on page five, slide 10, the major source of labor uh, under the um, hiring goals? You uh, mentioned that uh, city build was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I wonder if there's a breakdown of the neighborhoods, uh, for the neighborhoods of where the hires come from. Is it in the materials or uh, it would be interesting to know if we could have that at some point, it doesn't have to, you know, happen today. 
Yeah, we have presented that information in the past, and because construction ended in 2019, we didn't include that kind of detail in the presentation in the interest of just keeping it more streamlined. Sure. But I would be happy to provide that to you immediately following the hearing. It, it that is be, available. That would be great. Thank you so much. And also, I wanted to uh, appreciate Commissioner uh, Braun's comment that, uh, that, yes, we have these barriers, but it is a challenge to be met. And going back to the things that we've all pointed out, um, we are, uh, you know, this is all of this, and particularly in the wake of the pandemic, you know, this is an all hands on deck where so much more is required of all of us than we ever imagined. And so, you know, regarding the pool, it's been closed a long time. Uh, legally, it's probably not under the, the DA agreement, but we have heard uh, consistently from the community about what a, what a necessary health resource it has been for some very vulnerable people. And I wonder, um, it's been closed a long time, and construction can be difficult, and you're talking about it being open, reopened in August. That's three months away, and it's already been closed a long time, and I wonder, it's, I wonder if there are barriers that could be uh, removed a little, uh, to make it a little quicker for people to be able to get back in, or whether there has, has been any effort to find alternatives uh, for people uh, to use while these uh, two pools are not in uh, operation. I don't need any comment on that right now, but if you could uh, res respond later and let us know about that, that'd be great. And, um, and Commissioner Chow noting that Prop Q, there's the, the intent to give the city and the community uh, information in advance um, and the, the need for a regular process. I really do hope that there's a way for the information that we have requested and don't have to get to us very quickly and for this not to continue to be uh, a, an operating procedure that uh, anyone, uh, but with respect to this meeting that CPMC uh, operates under going forward, we need the advance uh, notice and engagement uh, not to hear things later. So thank you so much for uh, all of your work and your time. And I will stop. Thank you, Commissioner, for your comments. And I will give our illustrious president of the uh, Health Commission the last word today. Thank you. Well, first of all, I'd like to associate myself with Commissioner Christian's comments about Commissioner uh, Ed Chow, who has served on the commission for about as long as it has existed. So thank you for your service and for being an example to all of us. Uh, thank you also to President Tanner for hosting us again. Um, I agree with um, what uh, Commissioner Diamond said, that every time we meet, we learn something from our planning uh, commission associates. So thank you for that. Um, even though the city attorney has indicated that CPMC is in compliance with the development agreement, um, CPMC has also acknowledged the spirit of that agreement. And I join my fellow commissioners um, in encouraging CPMC to continue to lean into that spirit, including some of the obligations that are either time limited or technically have been met. There are still some very uh, serious critical needs in our city in terms of the health crisis we see in the Tenderloin every day, the shortage of skilled nursing um, and subacute beds, uh, the need for labor and delivery services throughout the city, as well as increasing linguistic capacity capacity and competence. Um, this calls on all of us to do more. So um, again, I just encourage CPMC to continue to leaning into the spirit of the agreement, even if some of those obligations have technically been met. And thanks to my fellow commissioners for your time and for your uh, very thoughtful questions. Great, thank you. Well, health commissioners, planning commissioners, I think that concludes our hearing for today, and we are adjourned. Thank you.